Welcome to Reveal, the Revenue Intelligence Podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people intelligence, deal intelligence, and market intelligence. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Gina, you know that voice in your head? You know, it's the voice that you hear, air quotes on here, right? When you're like reading, uh, it's the voice in your head. You're kind of like talking to yourself, right? Um, is that voice for you always positive, more positive, sometimes negative? What's going on in your head? Well, I think these days I want to like kind of go to that voice and ask them if it's the same voice that existed there one and a half years ago, because I feel mm. like the voice in my head has changed, particularly with the pandemic um, and not in a positive way. I think over these, over the past year plus, um, because of the situations, because of circumstances, I actually find myself being harder on myself, having higher expectations when if I was to step back and create my own voice that I could listen to, it should be the opposite. Like, I feel like I should be easier on myself that, Hey, we have all these stresses, all these outside forces that we can't control. But unfortunately, for whatever reason, the voice is harsher and has higher expectations for me these days. I cannot imagine that you're alone. I haven't noticed if mine is necessarily in the last year, year and a half, but I can definitely tell you like when I was younger, like, you know, early twenties, the voice was much harsher on myself. I think I was much harder on myself. And um, the reason we're talking about this is because the power of that voice is very impactful, right? It, it can shape your day. And it's kind of like when people say, oh, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Mm-hmm. I've noticed like that the tone of that voice in the morning to start your day can really kick off the trajectory for your day, right? And sometimes it it's, you know, if it you're does. more tired, if you're more rested, you know, it, t- it tends to be nicer when you're more rested. But I can for sure say that the outcome of my day and the interactions I have with people definitely are reliant on that voice being at least more towards the positive side, even if not, you know, maybe I don't always reach mm-hmm. cheery, but definitely mm-hmm. more towards the positive side. Yeah. Yeah. It impacts your interaction with everyone, not just with yourself. Um, so I would love tips. If anybody has amazing tips on how to quiet that voice or adjust that voice in your head, do share. I would love to hear them. Um, And how to be a little bit kinder to yourself in that process. Well, Gina, hold on to that thought, because in a couple minutes, in a couple seconds, we're going to go talk to Mariah. And all we talked about for this interview was that voice in your head, how it relates to imposter syndrome, and what folks can do to make sure that you're being kind to yourself, and, and ultimately how it will help you have better interactions with your customers. Let's go hang out with Mariah. Mariah, welcome to Reveal. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. So to kick things off, can you give us a quick overview of what you do at Path Factory and what you're currently focused on at your role there? 
Yes, absolutely. So I am the VP of Enterprise Sales here at Path Factory. We are a fast growth startup. Um, we're focused on really using our proprietary content intelligence to help B2B marketers, very similar to how Gong helps salespeople. Um, it's all about accelerating the buying journey and driving demand and things like that. Um, but when you ask, what am I focused on? That, that's sort of what makes me chuckle. When you're at a fast growth startup, focus is like a, a day by day, sometimes hour by hour. Um, it's all about, you know, intelligent speed and being agile, ready to pivot. Um, but my, my top priority going into 2021 is really about ensuring that the account executives on my team are starting the year with very clear focus. So because it's a startup, because we cover both new logos and renewal expansions, focus is so, so, so important to us um, to make sure they don't spread themselves too thin, to make sure that they're focused on what matters. Um, so we're doing a lot of work around making sure that we're focused on the most important top, like 150 new logos that we're after for the year, and then dividing that across the team really being laser focused, getting our high level advisors in to help us, things like that. That is very validating because uh, I tell Sheena all the time, my focus for this year is focus, uh, especially when you're at a fast growing company, uh, it's easy to lose focus or just get pulled in so many different directions that you're not really focusing on any one thing. So that, that is validating that uh, Sheena and I are not alone in maybe <laughs> one or two too many priorities. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Mariah, we go way back. I wouldn't say we've known each other very well, but we actually met at a, at a company called On24 when I was very green in my sales career. Uh, and you were, you were a top performer. You were like the, you know, the, the person everyone wanted to shadow. I know I was trying to oh, uh, you know, get on your good side by just learning first what you do and how you do it so well. But I understand that your first masterclass in sales actually came from an artist. So can you that's unusual. Can you share a little bit more about that? Maybe there's a story behind that uh, that headline. Yeah, I, mean, I really love that question because it immediately takes me back to those days when I was sitting beside this really enchanting older gentleman. His name was George Jacobs. Um, we were actually, I mean, I just have such great memories of that. He was just such a magical person and he really was my first sales leader, if I think about it, right? We were at a farmer's market. Um, that's where I met him. I guess they called it a craft market because there were no vegetables. Um, and we were in the firehouse of this um, tiny little town. It was a waterfront Cape Cod town. Um, and he painted the most beautiful watercolors, right? Like the just sort of ink drawing and then colored it in. Um, and he was so successful. People loved his art. He would sit there and paint while we were there, while he had all of his wares out to sell. And I just watched him and I was in awe and I asked about it. The very next Saturday, I had a table right beside him. I had spun up a business within a week. I had made jewelry out of sea glass on the beach, right? And I was, you know, I don't know, 11, 12, 13. Um, and I mean, I still have his paintings hanging in my, in my office and in my kitchen. And I just love those memories of him. That is very cool. What, what about... What about it made you set up shop in a week? Because that's pretty impressive. Like catching the artistic bug, I think, you know, it, it, that happens. But to, to, you know, to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm the next uh, Bob Ross. I'm going to sit next to you and I'm going to yeah. make a business out of this too. What kind of sparked that in you? Well, 
I'm not going to say that my art was great or my jewelry was great because certainly it wasn't. But what I loved was his ability to connect with these strangers, right? Strangers mm. would walk through. He would compliment something about them. He would build a relationship with them in a matter of seconds, right? They would say something about his art. He would say something nice about one of their children. I, I don't know. It was just remarkable to watch him build those human relationships so quickly. And that's what I wanted to do. You described him as enchanting, I believe, a moment ago. And I, and I can imagine if I'm trying to put myself in this, this craft market, um, if they had a really good interaction with this guy, the art might remind them of that. You know what I mean? You've had this really quick interaction. You really enjoy it. And you're like, oh, I'm going to buy this art every time I look at it in my house. I remember this type of feeling. Yeah. Uh, I'm speculating, but that's kind of what the story tells me. Exactly. Exactly. Very true. So according to LinkedIn, one of your missions in life is really teaching young children how to be carriers of kindness, as you phrase it. Can you explain that a little bit and what particularly sparked that passion for you? Yeah, um, <clears throat> this is both a, I think, wonderful story, but it also is a very sad story for me um, when I think about what really sparked that for me. So my twins at the time were in kindergarten, and I think... I think they're in sixth grade now. It's hard to keep track. No, actually seventh. That's terrible. Um, so the bus was late. They were on the same bus with another family. The mother of one of the children ended up getting hit by a car that morning when she was running with her children. It was a, it was just one of those shock wave moments in my life when in the community's life, right? When you realize, oh my gosh, a kindergartner can lose their parent at any given time and all of a sudden you've got kids growing up without parents it's not fair like there's just there was so much just sadness in the community over Meg Menzies dying and how shocking the whole thing was and I remember thinking to myself what do I need my husband to do if that happens to me what is the most important thing for my children to learn and to be right in the world Gosh, I'm getting emotional just remembering. Um, and it was also, there was a song on at the time. It was a new Tim McGraw song about being humble and kind. And both of those things together just sort of slammed together. And I remember telling my husband, like, the most important thing I want my children to learn from me and to be in this world is to be kind, right? So it really just all these different really small things became like we're born out of that. So, you know, catching smiles as we were driving, who can make the most strangers smile? Who can say the thing that, you know, you know, changes that person's um, whole attitude and day, make them go from looking sad to happy. Um, you know, it, it, you have to teach them things like, don't tell someone with a filthy shirt that they have a beautiful shirt, right? Like that's not gonna work out. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, a, a one kind word, one compliment, costs you nothing and it can change someone's life. Thanks for sharing that story and that experience. And it's really quite amazing to see how you took such, you know, a, a powerful and sad moment um, in your life and then took that and made it your, your mission. And like you have a mission statement for your life and for your family that you can kind of look to that true north each and every day, mm -hmm. bring that into your family interactions, bring that to your interactions with strangers. And I suspect bring that into your interactions in the workplace as well. hundred percent. Yeah. Definitely. I was going to say it's easy, I think, for 
you know, impactful moments like that are moments of loss to look inward and focus on oneself. But I love how you took that and said, how can I shine a light externally and make other people smile? And I love the idea. I'm definitely going to steal that. My daughter's a little young right now, but when she's older, you know, how many people on the freeway on this road trip can you make smile or smile back? Devin, this is like seven or eight years later, and my three children are still doing this. They, I mean, just a year ago, one of them brought a waiter to his knees, right back when we used to go to restaurants. He said something like, um, you're the best waiter we've ever had. And the guy just like dropped to his knees because no one has ever, no one says that. No one, and certainly not a child, right? And when that happened, it came out of nowhere right? Like my 11 year old says that to a waiter and I realized, oh, I've got to get the manager and get him to repeat this to the manager because I bet this has never happened. Yeah. Amazing. So this, this mission for being this carrier for kindness, it, it leads us to the topic of the day, which is imposter syndrome in sales and why sales professionals also need to bring a little bit of that kindness to themselves as well. Mm. Can you first start just by defining what imposter syndrome means to you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, it's, I think imposter syndrome is certainly talked about more nowadays, but 10 years ago, I had never heard of it. Um, in fact, I went back to see when Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, was published. It was back in 2013. That is when I learned that, like, I'm not broken. This is a thing. Lots of people suffer from imposter syndrome. Um, I can actually remember the street I was walking on, like the corner of the road and the sun was shining. I can remember that part in the book where she defined it and I realized, oh my gosh, I am not alone. I need to learn more about this. And the way that she really describes it in Lean In um, is that imposter syndrome, specifically in work, is a belief that you haven't achieved anything because you're not truly good at your job. Right. So it's multiple sightings of studies throughout her book um, that this prevalence of imposter syndrome um, within women is really due to that that lower self-confidence. So for me, imposter syndrome, how does it show up? I mean, luckily, it doesn't show up as often anymore because I've been aware of it and working on it for many years now. But it's it's this super loud, like, but very small negative committee. I often call them the itty bitty shitty committee that meets in my head, right? These voices that tell me, wait, yeah, you, you got president's club this time, or you won that deal this time, but surely it was an accident. Won't happen again. Uh, you're not alone. I, I've had that as well. Something I focus on. I, I can't remember the moment I was validated like you were, but I remember, I think someone was just telling me like, yeah, I just I feel like a phony. I just don't really know if I like belong here. And I remember it was so revolutionary that someone else felt that way. I, I wish I would have validated them. You know, I wish they would have told them that I agree. And I remember mm-hmm. just kind of like being quiet, but like, oh, like other people deal with this too. Other people have this enormous amount of self-doubt. And what's interesting, I'd love to hear from you, Mariah, is like, oftentimes the things that that voice is telling you, other people, external people would never agree with. Right. It's usually the things people are complimenting. Wow. Like Mariah, the way you run enterprise deals is like phenomenal. Like it's really amazing. And yet in your head all week, you were like, someone's going to find out that like, I'm really <laughs> you are exactly right. That is exactly how it works and how it shows up for sure. Do you think there's anything about like the 
sales profession that sparks that more often than not. And obviously, you know, you're a salesperson as a mice. I don't know if you can compare it to like other career choices, but something about sales specifically that triggers it for them. Yeah, I mean, I think I have become a little bit of an expert in this since I started managing other people, right? And having these conversations and and having them come to me with these, these fears and this anxiety. I, I think at the end of the day, our profession, the profession of sales involves more anxiety than I don't know, any other occupation, maybe other than like brain surgeons who are afraid they'll make a mistake. Yeah. We, we have this like massive or, or we are riding a massive roller coaster of emotions every day with every deal, depending on where you are with your quota, with your year, with your boss. Do you have a new boss, um, new territory? And, and in sales, our job is to be a trusted advisor both sides of the table for your employer and for the customer when it comes to facilitating those thorough evaluations of your product or service. Um, so our job is really to, to establish a relationship of, of trust. And there are so many twists and turns along that journey. Uh, we may often be on the, the upper side of the roller coaster, but you never know where that next twist will lead you. Will the decision maker on your buying committee leave? Will they have a reorg? Will they get, will they get purchased? Um, is the deal that you're creating, the, the solution you're putting together, is it good for your company and for your prospect? So I think there are just so many anxiety inducing moments as you're navigating all of those, those factors and all of the opinions on both sides of the table again. So if you make a single mistake, if you make a mistake on a proposal, if you forget to include a skew, if you miss a key piece of information in the scoping process, maybe they're on a different CRM or a different CMS, and that actually means more work or more money, you might end up having to make, like, you're going to have to fall on the sword with many people, the prospect, your boss, maybe your boss's boss. I mean, there's just so much anxiety. Something I tell uh sales reps when uh you know the new quarter's coming they don't know if they're gonna hit quota or you know middle of the quarter and it's not looking good or i'm on top of the world and i can do no wrong i always it, it's i'm half joking but you're one email away from everything turning upside down mm -hmm. i've been down and out where I'm like man i'm gonna hit 80 percent if i'm lucky doing the dishes my email lights up that bluebird deal you know bluebird deal pops in a while back now i've got $50,000 in commit and I'm going to hit quota and I'm going to look like a superstar. Mm -hmm. I've also been on the other end of that where I think I've got it locked up and I probably don't even have to show up to work this week. This thing's going to handle itself. You get one email. Hey, then we're actually moving from Salesforce. Uh, so I don't know if this is going to make sense anymore. And your deal falls apart immediately. It happens quarter over quarter, year over year. To the best happens to the worst happens to everyone in between. So mm -hmm. I, uh, it's like anxiety, I think it's like part of the game. Every time you check your inbox, you're pulling the slot machine if you're going to win big yeah. or, or lose big. And it's like, how, how do you not have a sense of imposter syndrome when that is simply kind of like the nature of sales? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think uh, like another aspect of this is as an AE, every single day you're putting yourself in a situation where you are expected to be an expert, but you are in this new environment that is unfamiliar to you. It could be, hey, I typically sell to software industry and now I have this new book of business or this new customer that's in telco. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about being in telecom, but I need to now 
speak the language. I need to talk the talk. I need to understand that market. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you're also interacting with folks who may be much more senior than you. There's executives who ha- who you're selling to that have worked for decades, and you may be a greener in your, you know, in your own career. So I think those scenarios. I mean, I'd, I'd love to get your take on that. But being in these unfamiliar situations where you're expected to be this expert is also could yeah. be quite nerve wracking. I mean, there's so much studying you have to do, right? There's so much prep, right? Um, hopefully, you know some good customer stories in that in that industry, or hopefully, you've noticed some connections in common and you can do some name dropping, but yeah, you are always on that first date. Every single, you are on the, what is it? That movie, the 50 first dates. That is your life as a salesperson. It's so true too, especially, you know, everyone, everyone wants to sell to the decision maker, the C-level, the VP, you know, simply the most uh, intimidating people in the organization (laughs) to sell to. Right. And I, I know that too, she had such a good point. You go into this meeting and I might've picked four of the last five quarters in a row. I might be the best rep on the team, but you get into a room with someone who's got 20 more years of experience with you in the back of your mind. You're just hoping you don't get called out for something you should know or something you, you know, misstepping. I'd love to know, Mariah, do you as a leader, I don't know, maybe you have like a, I don't know, imposter syndrome radar or some key, you know what I mean? Some, some behavior that you kind of pick up on for your team uh, to mm-hmm. kind of sense it. And then if you have any sort of, I don't know, don't have to be a technical or as tactical as like a talk track, but you know what I mean? Any, any kind of approach yeah. you have to say like, hey, hey, let's take a walk because I'm, I'm kind of noticing something. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so important. And it's going to be different for every single one of your direct reports. Um, and it all, it comes back to that self doubt circle, right? That negative committee in your head or in their head. Um, maybe it's, just something that seems too hard to solve, um, whether it's a proposal or a business case, or you know they've done a reorg. How do I salvage this deal? It's super easy to start listening to those voices, and I know for me, early in my career, um, something like that would happen. I, I would immediately start, and I remember gazing out the window one day and seeing this landscaping crew um, spreading mulch, and I thought, oh my gosh, that was the job in college, spreading mulch for that landscaper. That was when I was really good at what I did. Like I could do the job and at the end I could see my success because that garden or that whatever looked freaking amazing. Done, check mark. I knew I did a good job, but it's not like that in sales at all. So you you really as a leader have to be able to recognize when any or all or individual team members are circling their self-doubt drain and and be ready to redirect them, um, get them back on track. So for me, I mean, I remember um, this wonderful woman that worked for me back at Oracle. Um, I saw it happen. A deal went south. It was not her fault. There are so many people involved being at Oracle. There's no way she could have blamed herself, but you could just tell the tone of her voice. Like you could tell that she was shaking. And I said, you've got to close your computer. You have to go for a run. Do not come back to the office today. Like you can't, you are just spiraling. Um, and I actually, Devin, you probably remember Ben Sullivan from On24. Was he there when you were there? I love Ben Sullivan. Great guy. Okay. Okay. So Ben had a great, had great advice for me. Maybe he only said it once, but it really stuck with me. I remember just trying to put together this enterprise deal for a huge customer. And it was just too hard. I was so frustrated. I couldn't figure it out. And he said, you got to go cut the grass, go outside, cut the grass. Cause he knew 
for me, the only way that I could come up with the right answer on any deal was to declutter my brain. And when, and he knew that I liked to push, I don't do this anymore, but I like to push the lawnmower, right? I think I only have two kids at this point um, because I couldn't do anything else, right? It didn't matter that we had a riding lawnmower um, and it didn't matter that we had, a, you know, people that came and cut our grass. I liked to do that because I could only do that one thing. It was too loud. My hands were busy. And he said, you know, you do your best deal strategy when you're, when you can't multitask. Um, and that really stuck with me. And that's something that I really um, think about when I see my team struggling. What is the thing? Maybe it's going to play disc golf, or maybe it's, maybe it's going to drink with friends. Um, whatever it is, a cluttered mind and self-doubt, you can't find clear solutions in that situation. Albert Einstein once said that creativity is intelligence having fun. Play isn't just for kids, and it can take many forms. Play, aka time away from work, is actually a very healthy habit for grown-ups too, helping increase productivity, improve abstract thinking, and boost our ability to solve difficult problems. Yet, few of us set aside enough time for play, and it may be costing us our creative potential. A NASA study found that of 1,600 four and five-year-olds, 98% scored at a creative genius level, yet only 2% of adults scored at the same genius level. That means when it comes to creative thinking, we're actually getting much worse at a skill that's critical to our personal and professional success. Stay tuned to the micro action at the end of the episode for tips to help you play more and tap into your inner creative genius. Yeah, Ben might need to be uh, invited soon, Chena, to, to reveal. I'm almost embarrassed now that we haven't invited him, but uh, you know, his his voice when he's, he's what six seven six eight At his least. voice is two to three times deeper than mine so he's naturally very commanding when he comes into a room <laughs> nice but I remember moments similarly where I've been down or he you know kind of sense like you're off your game a little bit falls into your office and you know one-liners or quick paragraphs and it's like wow that's exactly what I needed to hear mm-hmm. and you mentioned it earlier it's stopping the spiral before you get near the bottom and then yeah. it's because it's really hard to climb back out of it it can take weeks and sometimes people change jobs over it because it's like I just can't yeah. I don't see myself getting out of it yeah 100 percent I was uh, watching a master class by Sarah Blakely, the woman who founded Spanx. Mm-hmm. And she was talking mm-hmm. about a very similar thing where, you know, what is that activity, that thing that helps you problem solve and, and come up with ideas, like your idea time. Mm-hmm. And she was saying like, for her, it's driving around um, in the car. And when she lost her commute time, she lost her idea time. And so her recommendation was like, Whatever the thing is for you, if it's mowing the lawn, if it's driving, like make sure you carve that time out for you every day so that you can have that time to think creatively, to problem solve, to not multitask Mm -hmm. and kind of like do that proactively. So it's not only when you're in that moment of, oh my God, the world is going crazy and I can't figure this out, but try to incorporate that time into your, into your life every day. hundred percent. I agree completely. Yeah. There's some, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to uh, butcher the citation, but it was some, some articles reading on Medium about the importance of play. And it's not playing itself, but it is, like you said, Shane, taking your mind off the task at hand 
letting your mind be free to wander. And I was doing, I do not cook. So I'm not going to pretend like, oh, Devin's the cook. And he's, you know, when he's chefing it up, that's when his best ideas come. But I was uh, tasked with dinner this week. Um, and there was some article I was working on. I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't get the angle I wanted. It wasn't, it wasn't popping the way I wanted. And I remember to have the pan in my hand. I'm thinking about trying to salt now. And just, it clicked. I was like, that's it right there. Uh, I dropped the pan, grabbed my phone, wrote it down, burned what was in the pan, <laughs> but it was worth it because I had yeah. my idea and I ordered, you know, DoorDash can solve all things. So, <laughs> Oh, I love we'll that. We'll post so that approach. So I, I um, love that tip on finding that time for you to problem solve. What other recommendations do you uh, generally give to the reps on your team to get out of their head and to trust in their own value and their own abilities? Yeah, I mean, I think it... It ultimately starts with those authentic conversations between the sales leader and the salespeople, right? And encouraging them to be their authentic selves. Um, I think the, you know, the most important thing to remember, right? Even if you walk into that room and realize the CMO is there or the CEO is there, that person's just a human, just like you. And we in the world of business do not want clones. Sales leaders do not want clones of the best salesperson. We want clones of their results for sure. Um, but I have, I have such an incredible team of AEs here at Path Factory, and we're hiring. Um, nice little plug there. But they're all so, so different. And that is what I love so much about them. The way that they build their rapport with their, their prospects, with their clients, I want to celebrate that. I want them to continue to be themselves. And, and that needs to be talked about, right? Humans, uh, sales executives have a much easier time building trust with their prospects and their customers if they show up as humans first in every interaction. So you can be honest, right? If you're having a bad day, did your, I mean, maybe your pet died yesterday, or maybe you're having a great day because you listened to some podcast that rocked your world, right? And you can't wait to tell somebody about it. it. It's really like, be yourself. So for that mindset, you need to know who you're showing up as today. And you need to, to know that if you're in a bad place, that you have some way, some, some, not magic wand, but you know what to do to snap yourself out of it, right? Being aware when you start to feel a certain way, oh, maybe it's time to go cut the grass. Maybe I need to go for a run. Um, and, and for the leaders to know what that thing is for each of your direct reports. You know, it might, it might be exercise, but it might be meditation. It might be yoga. It might be going to the bar back when we could do that. Um, calling someone, a friend for reassurance, because again, Devin, like we talked about, you had that little itty bitty shitty committee in your head as well, right? So us talking about this now, hopefully helps a number of salespeople out there realize that that is totally normal. And you just need to know how to counteract it when you start to hear those voices. Absolutely. People are often shy to be vulnerable, but vulnerability is very contagious. And you'd be surprised how much it's reciprocated when you just open the door first. Yeah, 100%. This has been phenomenal. I think Sheena, me and you now have a code word, which is if me and you are stuck on an idea or a project, you've got full permission to go tell me to cut the grass. <laughs> I um, will definitely be saying that, especially now that you have a backyard with grass in it, which you didn't before. <laughs> I've got to plant some grass so I can go cut it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
Um, Mariah, we, we, this has been great. We'd like to wrap up with the same question for all of our guests. And it is, how would you describe sales in one word? I think authenticity has to be the name, has to be the word today, right? Showing up as your authentic self is how you win in sales. I like it and definitely reflects what we talked about today. Yeah. Well, Mariah, thank you again for your expertise and your vulnerability. I'm glad that our paths crossed again and I hope it does again soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Every week, we like to bring you a micro action, something you can think about or put into play today. It's easy to get caught up in the imposter syndrome spiral. So here are some ways to bring playtime back into your life and help interrupt this pattern the next time something triggers your I'm not good enough story. Play can be anything you do just for the fun of it. Keep it simple and easily accessible. It can be a short walk, practicing your guitar or drawing. Spending time away from work will actually spark new ideas for solving problems once you're back at work. Take time for activities that put you in a flow state where you lose yourself in the moment. For me, that's about an hour of writing almost every day. Make your workspace play friendly. Keep fun objects, colorful pens, or anything in sight that inspires you. I have a small, colorful, hand-painted bowl from Spain. There's nothing even in it. It serves no purpose other than reminding me of a great vacation. And last, schedule short play breaks throughout your day just to give your brain a break. Even 10 to 15 minutes off the laptop or phone can provide the right headspace to come up with fresh ideas. Can I make a super quick ask? I bet our VP of sales that we can get to 100 podcast reviews before Q1 ends. That's March 31st for us. It's a gentleman's wager for bragging rights because I love telling him I told you so. And we're already at 73 reviews. So I'm hoping you can help push us over the edge. All you have to do is take 27 seconds to give Reveal a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It's that simple. I appreciate it, and thanks for the help. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then. And if you have any feedback or you want us to interview one of your favorite revenue leaders, just email us at reveal at gong.io.